As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, oh no, it's Everton away on the opening day. We pour over the freshly released fixture list. There's a deep dive on Chelsea's transfer policy. We round up the rest of the news that happened whilst we were away and do a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. There you go, listener, we weren't away too long. Were we back in your ears to talk all things Chelsea Football Club? I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Joining me today are the Athletics man in the know, Re the Blues, Liam Toomey. Hi, Liam. I'm still on the beach, at least in my mind. Mm, yeah, I think we all are too. Uh, Sam Parkin, Chelsea Academy graduate, was on the beach last week. He's back with us now. How are you doing, Sam? Better than I was last week. Two poorly children. Not a vintage week. Not a vintage week in the Balearics. <laughs> I had better. I had better results in the uh, my early twenties. <laughs> Come home for the holiday, ha ha ha, etc. Yeah, uh, that'll be me next week. So I, I won't uh, enjoy your misery too much. Uh, right, it feels like last season's barely concluded. Yet here we are recording just hours after the fixtures for next term were announced. We'll have a chat about who the Blues are facing next. So the new Premier League campaign kicks off on the first weekend of August. We now know that Chelsea will face Everton at Goodison Park on Saturday the 6th. Some of the other key fixtures. Spurs is the first home game. Liverpool come to the bridge in September. Last game before the World Cup is at Newcastle. Bournemouth at home, Boxing Day. Forest away, New Year's Eve. Some of us are very pleased about that. And Manchester City away, penultimate game. Um, Sam, when you were a player, would you be paying much attention to the fixture list? Or is it very much, oh, look, we're playing everybody twice, once at home and once away? Yeah, probably more the latter. I would say first day is always exciting, isn't it? You you want so so a home game against someone very beatable, um, one of the teams that's maybe predicted to struggle. That would always be your hope. Um, other than that, not really, not really fast. I think you know you're, the top managers and top players will be looking at their games against the rivals. Liverpool will be looking to Manchester City. I'm sure when those games are coming up because they've had a big bearing over the last few years. Um, but no, I, I don't think the players mind too much. Thomas Tuchel maybe would have paid a little bit more attention, but I wouldn't imagine too many of the players would have been uh, looking for a TV screen on on their yachts wherever they are in the world <laughs> right now. 
Liam, do you think Todd Bowley will be a bit disappointed that it's, it's an away game first, so he doesn't get to come out and do a, a song and dance on the pitch before or after the game, or, or is that not really? Is, is the, the concern more Chelsea's terrible record against Everton at Goodison Park of late? I don't know. It might make it easier to have a grand firework display to to get the Bowley era underway. Now, actually, I don't think the the Everton fans will be as fussed this time, will they? Outside the Chelsea team hotel. It's certainly a poetic start to the to the new era, facing an Abramovich era legend in Frank Lampard. Beyond that, honestly, I find fixture fixture announcement reaction to be the biggest nonsense. Who who knows? Who knows what games are going to be the most significant? Who knows when the runs of good and bad form are gonna are gonna be? We don't even know what the Champions League fixtures are yet, so we've only got half of the picture. Some of these games will will be moved for various reasons, and we don't know when injuries will strike or anything else. It's just we're we're all just kind of surmising, judging on paper what games will be like. And of course, football isn't played on paper. It is quite interesting that in the first few weeks, Tottenham are the only sort of big six team they've got. So you could look at that and maybe say, you know, there's a chance to build momentum, but Chelsea are capable of winning any of these games or losing any of these games. Um, so it's very difficult to say for certain. What, one thing I think that is important and would have been important regardless of what games they get, they they got first, um, and I'm sure Bowley and, and Clear Lake will be aware of this, is that Chelsea need to get their transfer business done as soon as possible. Really as much by sort of July 9th, which is when pre-season starts in LA, because we've seen in Chelsea's past, the seasons when they've done well have been the seasons when the coach has had his full squad, including the key signings, to work with from the very start of pre-season. And then it matters a lot less who you've got in the opening weeks because if you if you approach the new season in your best physical state, sort of tactically cohesive, you can hit the ground running regardless and build some momentum. If you're not, things can go wrong very quickly no matter who you're playing in the Premier League. Yeah, we'll talk more transfers later, but I'm sure Chelsea have noted the fact that City and Liverpool have already got some of their business done. Um, the other key thing, I guess, this season, Sam, fixture-wise, that, that we're paying even more attention to is the Christmas period because it's going to come straight off the back of the World Cup, isn't it? I mean, it's only a few days after the World Cup final is played that the Premier League will resume. Therefore, Chelsea having Bournemouth at home on, on Boxing Day and Forest away on the 31st as their only two games in December, that, that's potentially quite a gentle reintroduction into, into Premier League after the rigours of a World Cup for the bulk of the squad. Yeah, it's the one the one plus really, isn't it? I think to come out the last few days, that, that fixture on the 27th, 28th or whenever it's been scheduled the last few years is gone. I mean, that was that was the the toughest game for me to get up to, get up for mentally and physically when I was playing. Because after that Boxing Day game, you wanted to unwind a little bit and physically you're still getting your legs back two days after a game. I mean, that's been proven with the way that sports science has changed over the years. That's normally the bigger recovery day, the Monday after a Saturday. So to get players to play again then, I just didn't understand. And I knew they, I know they used to do it Christmas Day, Boxing Day back in the 60s, 70s. The, the game has moved on um, since then. So that is a plus. One of the big challenges, I suppose, off the top of my head, I won't be able to go through too many, but the ones that aren't at the World Cup, keeping them in in maximum tip-top condition, 
while they're not playing high-level football for a few weeks, is going to be challenging, to say the least, on the training ground. The ones that are home early, that maybe get knocked out in the group stages, likewise. And then there's going to be a degree of fatigue for the ones that go deep in the competition. Are they going to want to come back and have a week's turnaround before that that Bournemouth game and, and be able to play with all the uh, emotion and, and the physical output that goes into get into the final of the World Cup? So it's going to be a challenging month for the managers uh, and the, the coaches and the staff on the, the ground at the training ground to make sure, like pre-season, everyone's level is strong enough to go into competitive games again. One thing to say about that sort of World Cup in the middle of this campaign is that given Chelsea's traditional winter struggles, could be a good thing that they're not actually playing matches for most of December. But when they do come back into action, you've got Bournemouth, you've got Nottingham Forest, it's arguable that you'd actually want bigger teams with all due respect to those two um, coming back because those two won't have many players in action in the World Cup. They'll have a lot of training time, a lot of lead-in time to those Chelsea games. And as we saw with the with the last Euros, you know Chelsea will have players that go deep into this tournament in Qatar. And then two of the first three opponents in 2023 are Manchester City and Liverpool. So you, you don't have a lot of time to, to kind of get that rhythm back. Here I go, after calling it all nonsense, here I go mm-hmm. analysing the fixture list. Look, we, we, we don't know until closer to the time what it will actually look like. We're all just sort of guessing right now. Yeah, and uh, City will have Haaland having not been at the World Cup. Liverpool will have Salah and Luis Diaz as well. So we don't know yet how that's going to shake out. Some of the key dates for your diary, the Champions League group stage draw, that's on the 25th of August. The group stage itself begins the week of 6th, 7th September. And that's a week earlier than last season. And the group games are going to be played on back-to-back weeks rather than with a break in between. That's to get it done, the group stage, before the World Cup starts. And the final round of league games before the World Cup, that's on the weekend of the 12th and 13th of November. You probably saw that story, listener, of Gareth Southgate asking for there to be no big six matchups on that final weekend. Well, uh, that is the 12th of November. Chelsea will be away at Newcastle, the reverse. So that'll be the last game of the season. The League Cup doesn't begin until November for Chelsea. That's when the third round is scheduled for. Uh, the final of that needs to be squeezed in by the end of February. It's going to be so congested. FA Cup third round, 8th and 9th of Jan, and then the PL season ends on the 28th of May. All right, that's in a fixture chat. Next, let's talk transfers. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
So over on The Athletic, Liam's written an illuminating piece on Chelsea's recent inconsistencies in the transfer market. For every successful window, such as the summers of 2014, 16 and 20, there have been times where the Blues have struggled to find the right players for the right price. See 2015, Antonio Conte's second year and the Romelu Lukaku deal, which was supposed to complete the puzzle 12 months ago. Uh, Liam, Chelsea got one of the top scouting networks in the world, a negotiator in Marina Granovskaya who's won awards for her work. So why is the business so erratic? There's always a tendency to look for individuals to blame. You know, is it a certain coach who decided to buy or sell certain players? Is it Marina Granovskaya? Um, Is it Scott McLaughlin, head of international scouting, who's recommending these flops? Um, And so one of the things that... Sorry, I just realised air quotes don't work on a podcast. (laughs) Um, One of the points I made in the piece was that it's not as simple as signing good or bad players. Chelsea don't buy bad players. You know, not when you're in, in Chelsea's position in the transfer market. They can buy whoever they want from pretty much whoever they want other than other top Premier League clubs. So you're getting players who generally have shone elsewhere uh, at a pretty high level usually. And often these players will play very well after they leave Chelsea in another context as well. So if they don't work at Chelsea, it's not necessarily because they're bad players. It's because the fit isn't right. Um, and, And so... Recruitment is a is a more complicated equation. You can have a great you, you can have a very well regarded transfer negotiator, you can have a very well regarded scouting operation, you can hire very good coaches, you can have a very good smart approach to data, which is what we've written about before at Chelsea. But if it doesn't all marry up into something that's actually quite coherent and you're consistently buying players that fit what the coach wants to do. And you're not changing coach every 18 months to someone completely different who has completely different ideas about how to build a team. Um, it, it, you know, it can work if that's cohesive. If it's not, which it hasn't been at Chelsea for most of the Abramovich era, you get these incredible um, boom and bust cycles, not just for the team, but for individual players. And I I highlighted Victor Moses as like an extreme example of that in the piece. He's probably the most extreme example in the Abramovich era. Comes in the summer of 2012, only ever really intended to be a good squad player. He was for Rafa Benitez, played a, a decent role in that Europa League run. Mourinho comes in, doesn't fancy him, loans him out for three straight years. And he he's in complete career purgatory. And then Conte gets a look at him in pre-season and thinks, I can turn him into a title-winning right wing-back. <laughs> and suddenly he's crucial um, to the best team in the country. And then Maurizio Sarri comes in, wants to play 4-3-3, has no use for wing-backs, and Moses is is farmed out to Fenerbahce on loan at the age of 28, You know, never to be seen again in, in England. So it's, it, you know, you get that to an extent at all clubs, Um, no two managers are the same they'll all have slightly different thoughts about players and the way they want to play but if every coach you're hiring is so different to the last one that becomes so much more extreme and and you get casualties in the squad and players lose value Uh, they end out on loan their, their careers go off the rails you can't sell them 
it's just it's bad business as well as as well as bad football practice. And Chelsea have got themselves into an awful lot of these situations. And from a player's perspective, Sam, it's it's diff- different if you're signing as a, a ready-made first-team superstar. But if you are a, a Victor Moses, a Danny Drinkwater, a, a Ross Barkley, I don't know, Baba Raman, these kind of people, it's part of the pact you make, isn't it, when you sign for Chelsea, that you're going to get incredible money, but you, you've not really got a defined career trajectory and, and you might have to make peace with the fact that you might find yourself out on loan at Reading for a season or something like that, but on incredible money. Yeah, you, you'd hope that that type of conversation goes on very early with the representatives and then you you make the decision based on that merit. Um, I heard Darren Bent speaking about difficult moves that he had during his career where he went from being the, the main man at clubs to being an insignificant member of, a member of larger squads at, at clubs when it wasn't going particularly well for him. And it can have a damaging psychological effect, I think, on the individuals. Thinking about Danny Drinkwater here, title winner at Leicester, probably felt that he was going to get game time at Chelsea, given that he was a, a full international maybe by that stage. And it's gone horrendously wrong. So I think the money people from the outside would say doesn't matter. You know, he's he's earning vast sums, but that softens it to a degree. But I still think psychologically it has an effect when you've gone from being the main man, one of the most important cogs at a side and you're not featuring. So I'm sure players should should probably think twice about it, you know, if they're not going to be around the team a little bit more often or they should it should certainly be part of their decision making um but of course the the contracts and the and the the opportunity to go and be part of a a team that's challenging and in the, in the Premier League and the Champions League is is very attractive as well so it's a difficult conundrum and Liam's surmised it really well there because it's the way Chelsea has has been operating for a number of years now and they cast the net so wide, there's obviously going to be some that, that don't pay off. If a smaller team in the in the Premier League went and signed eight players across two or three windows and all of them failed, that would have catastrophic effect probably on their chances, whereas Chelsea can get away with it because you know they're signing more players and, and obviously a few of them hit the right notes. And no one bats a thousand, as they say in baseball. You, every club has has transfer misses, but what you get when when you have this kind of muddled vision that we've seen at Chelsea is you get more wastage because even if you sign players who initially work out, the coach they were signed to play for leaves after a year. Another new coach comes in who doesn't like them as much. I also wrote about um, the kind of number ten position around the sort of early 2010s at Chelsea where they signed one matter. He's like the big marquee arrival, player of the year, two straight seasons. Of course, Mourinho comes in, ostracises him, prefers Oscar because he's more tenacious, more destructive. And then Conte comes in and switches formation, suddenly has no use for Oscar. And having been one of the most important players at Chelsea for four years, he sold after six months to China at the age of 25. You know, and, and and Chelsea did Granovskaya did a good job of of selling some of those players, um, so you kind of mitigate the not a mistake, but you kind of mitigate the the wastage of of that. But you can't keep doing that, and eventually that that wastage comes comes home to roost, and you can't necessarily shift all of those players, and they just end up being 
sort of bloating the squad. Uh, that's an overview of the piece. Check out the uh, the full thing on The Athletic now. Head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up. If you're not currently a subscriber, it'll only cost you a pound a month for the first six months. We'll, uh, we'll spin this on to, to present day then, Liam. Obviously, it's very, very early days. Uh, am I being lazy to assume that the new owner's transfer strategy might be similar to the, to the Liverpool model? Is that just me putting two and two together and, and coming up with something American related? Well, no, they. I mean, they mention it too if you you know talking to people who know the new owners uh, and know the way they want to operate Liverpool and FSG is is very much held up as the benchmark and as we've seen with with FSG they've been prepared to spend big on the right player Darwin Nunes this summer Virgil van Dijk of course Naby Keita didn't quite work as well for them but overall the operation is much more efficient and because every player is signed with a view to how they'll fit in a Jurgen Klopp team, it means they have far fewer misses, um, and 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 all of these players are are at least useful, if not integral. Uh, and so I think that's what the new owners want to do. From what we're hearing, Thomas Tuchel is very very central to what they're looking at in terms of you know signing players this summer. They want to they want to help Tuchel build the team that Tuchel once because that's something Tuchel hasn't really had the opportunity to do at Chelsea so far um, and I think they'll also take their lead from Tuchel when it comes to situations like Romelu Lukaku which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more um, but they do want they do want the overall operation to be a lot more efficient and to make business sense. Uh, that must be pretty persuasive, Sam. You know, if, if you're a player and you're talking to a couple of clubs and, and actually the coach of the team is getting involved and saying, you're somebody that I've identified can improve as, you, you know, you'll play here for us rather than having a chat with Petr Cech about it and then meeting the meeting the coach when you sign the contract and get to, to training on the first day. Yeah, definitely. And, and given what we've spoken about in the last five minutes, if there's going to be a clearer, you know, identity moving forward, a uh, clearer connection between the ownership and the and the coach in terms of the way that they want to play then I think that's an attractive proposition as well because you you look at the success of Liverpool and and that's about Jurgen Klopp having continuity over a period of time and and the scouting network knowing exactly what they're going after so it sounds like it's going to be something similar and I don't know I, I don't know what Liam feels but have we seen Thomas Tuchel completely put his his real stamp on this side have we seen his real style of management or is he just kind of molded a yeah, really talented group of players into you know a team that was able to go and get that champions league i don't know i, I still probably think that there's there's areas in that team that he desperately would want to strengthen for it to look more like you know what he'd want ideally so i think this is a this is a really big summer not to get closer to liverpool manchester city for a premier league but to make it look more as he would want it to, as he moulds, looking ahead to the next two, three years. And so many departments of that squad need improving. And um, hopefully, as Liam said, and I think his first answer, they get some over the line quickly and he can get to work with them. And, you know, it could be a new system the start of this season, could be four or five new players to go straight into the team. Um, and he's going to need time to to work on his, his strategy for the start of the season. And, I would suggest it may be a very different looking, yeah, I think quite a different looking style maybe at the start of the season. We'll have to wait and see, but I don't think it'll be as, well, the, the football won't be as stodgy as it certainly was at times last season. 
So putting your stamp on a team, Liam, for a coach can be about bringing in players, but but you could argue that being given the green light to, to send Romelu Lukaku back to Inter Milan would be almost as big a statement in terms of the manager uh, getting a team in his own identity. What What's the latest with that? Seems like Lukaku might be heading back to Italy. Well, nothing's done, um, but it certainly looks as though Lukaku is pushing quite hard for this to happen. The, the, my hunch, and it's no more than my hunch, it's not... This is not spoken from a position of inside knowledge, but my hunch is that he didn't want to leave Inter in the first place. Um, given just given how quickly he's he's soured on the whole Chelsea experience, uh, and he he was really happy at Inter, obviously playing the football of his of his life, and it was primarily the the club's financial difficulties that um, that kind of created the conditions for that sale, and of course the money that Chelsea were prepared to pay. So. The, the difficulty now is that all of the financial aspects are stacked against this happening. Um, you know, Lukaku would have to take a financial hit to go back, even on loan. Chelsea will have to take a huge financial hit. If this is going to happen, it's going to be on terms that are deeply unfavourable to Chelsea because Inter are still not in the financial situation to... To, to sign Lukaku or even really to to do a, a particularly lucrative loan deal for Lukaku. So it, it, it's an awkward one, but I, I just think my instinct on, on it is given the strength of Lukaku's desire to go back, given the fact that the, the sort of Tuchel-Lukaku relationship just doesn't look tenable, given the, the fact that the broader situation of just having you're the highest earner in the squad, which is what Lukaku is, um, still in that Chelsea dressing room going into next year with with players around him who are far more important to the team, earning far less than him. Don't think that situation is tenable either. Uh, so I, I think for those reasons, I would expect this to happen, despite how difficult it is to do financially. And, and it would be one of those that... Obviously, Chelsea's new owners can easily play it off as, you know, we're we're trying to navigate a mistake of the previous regime. This is not on us. This is a situation we inherited and we're just trying to figure it out as best we can. And and it, it'll be another, it could be another case of, another old Chelsea case of loaning a guy back to Italy in the hope that he rebuilds his value. Uh, and at some point down the line, you can actually sell him. And, and have a, a real clean break. If he does go, Sam, it can't be viewed as anything other than a colossal disappointment, can it? You know, he, admittedly, he looks a bit better toward the end of the season. Didn't finish on a, a bad number of goals, but with everything that happens, I mean, essentially from that Sky Italia interview onwards, it looked as though his fate was sealed, didn't it? And, and as, as Liam says, it, it was untenable for him to continue as a Chelsea player. Yeah. I mean, after those first couple of games, you wouldn't, wouldn't have believed it would go this way, but... But, but yeah, I think they need to to try and move him out, move on. Um, and that's going to be so fundamentally important, that position, you know, what happens between now and the start of the season. Because, you know, that, you know, the reinforcements defensively is, is pretty desperate, isn't it? If we still anticipate Rudiger, Christensen, maybe Azpilicueta as well leaving. But the forward areas, we spoke so often and, you know, the post-mortems of games so often about the plethora of chances that were created, not taken, um, maybe not enough chances created in certain games. 
you can't go into the season with the hope that Werner Havertz is going to be enough maybe for next year. So they're going to have to reinforce maybe with a central striker, maybe another wide one um, going into the new campaign because it was the, yes, the individual mistakes crept in towards the back end of last season, but the Achilles heel seemed always to be the the, the lack of um, killer instinct in the final third. So that's going to be vital, I think, for the new owner to go into the new season, you know, with, I suppose, renewed hope and, you know, optimism that that, that will turn around with some new blood. Uh, any word on that new blood? Liam, Koundé, Dembele, been linked, others, but it doesn't feel like there's been any particularly concrete rumour or news so far. Doesn't seem like anything is close. Koundé, I mean, has been, you know, top of Chelsea's list for defensive reinforcements for for well over a year now. I think it, it is still a question of price with Sevilla and negotiation on that front. But Tuchel really likes the player. As recently as last year, Kunde desperately wanted to move to Chelsea. Um, so it, it looks from the outside that there are all the conditions for that to actually get done now. Chelsea have every have every incentive to get that deal over the line if they're convinced that Kunde is, is the defensive reinforcement they need. They also want a left-sided defender. Um, not necessarily to replace Rudiger, but at least positionally to give them give them another quality option in that position. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Levi Colwell in pre-season on that front as well. I'm sure Tuchel will want to get a look at him, but I think they're looking to bring someone in in that position as well. Um, and then you're looking at midfield as well. As well as as well as the forwards, um, you're looking at central midfield where you've got Jorginho and Kante with with a year left. Um, and then yeah, we know we know Tuchel's a massive massive fan of Dembele. Dembele had what is still the best season of his career under Tuchel at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, it was basically the season that got him that move to Barcelona. Uh, and he's had a lot of injuries since. He would be a very expensive free agent, and that would carry that would bring challenges of its own because you're you're inserting someone else um who could be seen as a bit of a high risk gamble um towards the top of that wage structure that Chelsea wage structure which is already a little bit upside down but he's a he's a, he's clearly an exceptional talent and if Chelsea are convinced that he can stay fit in England and Tuchel's convinced that he can get the best out of him uh it's probably a good option a, a good option in terms of finding a way to refresh Chelsea's attacking options. Liam, if um, the Lukaku deal did go through, if it was a loan, for it, for instance, um, would they go and try and get a loan, do you think, centre-forward? Would that be the obvious thing to do rather than try and spend some more dough? It's an interesting one. They, Chelsea haven't done a loan deals, um, uh, well, a, a, an, a, an attacking loan deal of that sort of profile since Higuain. It's not something we've really heard so far part of me would think if you know if you were at that point unless there was like a really high level proven name available on loan why wouldn't you just sort of bring Armando Breuer in and at least take a good look at him in pre-season because last pre-season he was really good for Chelsea he started the season really well for Southampton he he sort of profiles as more of a mobile forward um that might suit Tuchel's system. You're obviously not expecting him to come in and be one of the Premier League's top scorers, but if he could come in and soak up some minutes, provide a viable alternative to Havertz, who you would expect to be Chelsea's first choice in that position, given the way last season ended, 
and the way he fits the system, then maybe that could work and it also frees up your resources to, to focus on other positions. But it's too early in the window to say whether they do that, Sam. Um, and it depends who might be available online, but can't rule anything out. Uh, in terms of outgoings, as we expected, Rudiger Christensen have both left the club. Saul's returned to Atletico Madrid after his loan spell. Drinkwater, Musonda and Clark Salter have also departed. Clark Salter bound for Queen's Park Rangers, according to our friend Simon Johnson. Billy Gilmore, meanwhile, has had his contract extended to 2024. Big season ahead for Billy. All right, we'll round up some other news and notes next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, plenty happened while we were away. It was announced Thursday morning as we record that three are restarting their marketing activities with immediate effect. You remember Chelsea's shirt sponsor suspended their deal with the club when the sanctions on Roman Abramovich were imposed. Uh, Liam, this is the the simplest solution for all parties, really, isn't it? I mean, they they couldn't get the logo off the kit for a start. uh, So it was almost like they were never away, certainly in the the eyes of most fans. There's a year left on this deal. Uh, This is just seeing it out to its natural conclusion one would assume the pause that wasn't a pause three never disappeared from Stamford Bridge a drop you know, in if you, signal if you, ever, if you like <laughs> <laughs> if you ever went to the stadium you could see their logos everywhere around the Britannia gate heading into Stamford Bridge you could see their logos all over the swanky kit launch advert that played before kickoff every single game and of course on the match shirts, which Chelsea could never get removed under the terms of the, the government sanction. So, yeah, this did make the most sense, I think, for all parties. There was a year left in that deal. There was no real viable reason for, for three to rip up that deal. Now Chelsea are under new ownership. There probably would have been penalty fees for whoever terminated that agreement without without viable cause. Um, and from Chelsea's perspective, the timing of this takeover and the lifting of the sanctions and everything, you know, Nike had to get on with the business of printing next season's kit. And they, and for that, they need to know who's going to be the logo on, on the front of the shirt. And um, there just wasn't time for, for Chelsea to rip up a deal with three and then go and find another sponsor somewhere willing to pay 30, 40 million pounds a year. As I understand it, before they did the deal with three, um, they were having trouble finding a commercial partner willing to pay that much to be on the shirt. So the idea that they could just go out, click their fingers and find someone else to to agree a deal at that price just wasn't realistic. And that now they have a year. I, I would be stunned if this deal was renewed 
beyond the current terms. Um, because And now I just think it gives Bowley and Clear Lake time to assess all of Chelsea's commercial partnerships along with every other department at the club. Um, and it gives them a year's lead-in time to sort of pitch for new for new shirt sponsors and and get a deal tied up long before next summer. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense, but it's going to be a little bit of an awkward one, isn't it? Because Chelsea fans, a lot of them turned on three when, when three took that action to pause the commercial agreement. You know, I've heard betrayal. Uh, it's quite a strong word, but I've heard that bandied around a little bit on on Vodafone stands, yeah. social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might might have been a few um, switching their mobile phone providers, and I, I wonder how many shirts we'll see at Stamford Bridge next year with Trivago just papered over the the middle, which we saw a little bit. But it, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of an awkward one. I don't know how much actual commercial value three are going to get out of this final year, and the whole episode is quite strange because. The only tangible consequence, it seems, for anyone of Three's decision is just a really bad PR hit for Three with Chelsea fans, which you can't imagine was what they were hoping for. Yeah, and those London-based Three executives who didn't get to use the corporate box at Stamford Bridge for a couple of months. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the women's team because the first two signings of the Bowley Clear Lake era have been made by Emma Hayes' side. She's added French international defender Yves Perisset and highly rated Canadian uh, Kadisha Buchanan. She's also a defender to the ranks for next season. Liam, obviously the, the money involved in, in transfers in women's football significantly less than that for the men's team. But, but nevertheless, this looks like a good sign to me that the new owners are going to maintain the interest in the women's team that we saw under Abramovich. Yeah, every everything I've heard in the conversations I've had around Chelsea's new owners is that the women's team is a big part of their strategy. Um, I Makes think sense given how it, popular soccer is with women in America, isn't it? It's kind of, kind of historically they've had more success with that than they have with the men's team. Well, I think I, I think they view it as a rapidly growing, growing arm of the sport, and it's an area in which Chelsea already have a clear edge because they have a domestically dominant team that is, has been a force in Europe for several years. They've got an incredibly charismatic, marketable manager um, and and lots of, you know, a, a host of international stars in their squad. It makes sense to build on that. And, um, and to, it, you know, the broader, the broader image that Chelsea's new owners want to maintain is that Chelsea is a club that wins. Men's level, women's level, academy level you know every department Chelsea is about winning that's the image they want to maintain from from the Abramovich era and if you can keep the women's team winning that goes a long way towards maintaining that image and as you say that can be accomplished a lot more cheaply relatively speaking than making sure the men's team wins so you they've signed two world-class players already in this window and while we don't know the exact figures you know, it would have cost a fraction of what reinforcements for the men's first team will cost just purely because of where the women's game is right now. So um, I think they view it as a very smart, cost-effective investment. From what I've heard, you know, the women's team is going to continue to be key to Chelsea's overall marketing strategy and the way they want they want to try and present themselves as a club. That's good news. Congrats too to Jess Carter, Millie Bright, Frank Kirby and Bethany England who were selected in Serena Wiegmann's England squad for next month's European Championships. 
Uh, the name that leaps out there, Sam, is obviously Fran because we know about the health issues that she had at the end of the season. I'm guessing Vigman's thinking she can she, it, she doesn't need to rely on Fran Kirby to start every game during this tournament, does she? We, we've seen what an impact she can have in in a 20 minute cameo, for example. If you need somebody to to come on and get you a goal, Fran's a good person to be able to rely upon, even if she's not going to be playing every minute of the tournament. Yeah, of, of course, and it's made some big decisions, so. That makes it even more interesting, really, doesn't it? You know, Steph Houghton being being left out, that was um, you know, a big shot, really. I know she's been, been struggling with injury. But yeah, I think always when you're critiquing, going over a uh, World Cup squad, a Euro squad with a fine tooth comb, you always, you always um, imagine there's going to be a two or three game changers that aren't necessarily going to start games, but they can impact from, from the bench when, when you get deep in the competition. And she's certainly that, so... Yeah, fan- fantastic, and um, yeah, w- wish her well because um, been a difficult few months for her, and um, yeah, absolute pleasure to watch her play for Chelsea and for England over the last few years. Someone that uh, a scorer of great goals uh, above anything else, but contributed some brilliant moments for for Chelsea. So I look forward to seeing her back in action. Yeah, we'll let you know how the Chelsea girls involved in that tournament get on as it progresses. Of course, it's not just England where there is blue representation. Okay, we're nearly done for today, but I think it's high time we broke out the quiz machine. All right, chaps, we've been talking transfers, so that's going to be the theme of this week's quiz. Three questions each. I'm pretty proud of this one. I'm hoping it's going to finish nil-nil. Sam, you're up first. Uh, We mentioned that that Jake Clark Salter has recently left Chelsea. He spent time on loan at five different clubs whilst he was a Chelsea player. Name at least three of those clubs. (laughs) Glad you said three. I wouldn't have had more than that. Um, Coventry, Birmingham. Correct. He was at Birmingham twice. And I think... It's in there. I'm going with it. Bristol Rovers is one, isn't it? Bristol Rovers is the first loan club they had. Well done. Uh, Liam, could you have picked any of the other two? Was he at Vitesse for a year? He was at Vitesse for a year, of course. Anybody of his age group is going to have been at Vitesse for a year. (laughs) Uh, The final one, anybody? Uh, It's about that level, I'd say. Is it about Bristol, kind of League 1, League 2? Was, Um, yeah. No, I haven't got it. Liam? No. It was Sunderland was the other oh, team okay. with whom he spent time on loan. Right, Liam, here's your first question. <laughs> At which club was apparently still Chelsea defender Matt Miazga on loan last season? Ah, <laughs> uh, Real pig of a question, this one. It really is. <laughs> um, 2016, I remember him playing for Chelsea. It's 2022 now. Some reason I have in my head that it was a French club. Just fishing for a clue there, but no just dice. looking for a poker poker style <laughs> tell on the Zoom. But you're you're too well versed at this. Mm. Um, it's a good head start for me if I want to steal. <laughs> well, it might not be a French club. My instincts I, are. I, I trust you implicitly, Liam. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Nice. Uh, it's a Nice guess, but it is incorrect. Sam, can you steal it? Um, Sosho. Not bad. He did actually spend time on loan at Nantes in France, but that was back in 2018-19. He was at Alaves mm. last season. Ah, uh, okay. In the right. Primera Told Division. you, Sam. 
<laughs> uh, Sam, question number two. Uh, and I'm really pleased, Liam, actually, that when you mentioned this player earlier, you didn't give away the club. Which Chinese club did Chelsea sell Oscar to in January 2017? The uh, thing is, I read that yesterday, in, <laughs> probably in Liam's piece. Yeah. Uh, Liam knows it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Give me the initial, please. Uh, it begins with an S. We doing clues now? Well, he's not going to get it, so it's fine. <laughs> no. Tell us, Liam. Shanghai SIPG. Yeah, full marks for getting the SIPG in there as well. Okay, so it's 1-1 now that you've pinched that, Liam, albeit that, that was a bit of a tap-in. Here's your second question. For whom did Victor Moses start more league games whilst on loan from Chelsea? Liverpool or Inter? Hmm. <sighs> I am going to bet against. Um, well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to bet in favour of Brendan Rodgers' track record of not playing Chelsea loanees anywhere near as much as Chelsea want him to, and say Inter. It's incorrect, I'm afraid. Okay. It was Liverpool six versus four. Can't offer that to you, Sam, because you've got it right. Cause it was six versus four. Yeah. <laughs> not great. Um, still. You know, he's won a lot of medals, hasn't he? Sam, here's your final question. <laughs> From which non-league club did Chelsea sign Cobham quiz favourite Darren Barnard in 1990? <laughs> this wasn't in my piece. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you've done that to me. It might be the first time this club gets a mention on any athletic podcast. 1-1 one, one is the so score. So somewhere like in Berkshire, isn't it? We've established that, right? Somewhere around that kind of... I can't kind of offer any more clues, I'm afraid. It's the M3, M4 cut through where you end up at Junction <laughs> 10. It's that. Real pig of that's a That's the vicinity. I reckon he probably still lives there now. He's probably a member of a local golf club. Um, probably got a good swing given his left foot. Left-handed. Uh, I think it begins with like, ah, oh, but I can't. I'm going to go Maidenhead. Liam, do you want to steal it? I'm, I'm still in awe at that little monologue that preceded <laughs> the, the incorrect answer. It's like performance art. Um, oh, I, I don't know. It's going to kill me, uh, this. Wheelstone? No, it's further out. Close, uh, With thanks to my friends at Wikipedia. Wokingham Town uh, was okay. the answer we were looking for. So you're not I'm a million miles away, there, Sam. aren't I? I'm yeah. there. I mean, the geography was correct. The result is underneath each other I didn't in the need, local rag. I didn't even know there was a ham version of Woking. <laughs> well, look, this is to win it, Liam. Final question of the quiz. Who left Chelsea to join Brentford last summer? Miles Park Harris. <sighs> Say it again for me. Miles Park Harris. I'm not sure I can give you that, you know. His name is Miles Pert Harris. <laughs> oh, come on. I could have offered that. On this. <laughs> <laughs> P-E-A-R-T yeah yeah it's just pronunciation you can't okay. get me on pronunciation no alright that's fair I'm going to give it you I thought that was a harder question than it actually would have turned out to be you'd have got that right Sam uh, yeah would have done yeah 100% mm, okay well it's a victory for Liam good one as well uh, that, that was, after, that was uh, impressive after the most galling of VAR checks <laughs> at least it was quick uh, well done Liam <laughs> you won uh, Sam, better luck next time. That, that well, I'm not was, sure um, I'll live down you giving me the initial for a Chinese Super League club S <laughs> and me not getting it. Getting I mean, <laughs> yeah. what am I doing there? That's really bad. 
Look, it's pre-season. Nobody reads too much into these results at this stage of the campaign. It's all about tuning yourself up for when things get really serious in August. Uh, right, we've mentioned uh, Liam's piece. There's lots of other Chelsea content on The Athletic. John Muller has written about Christian Pulisic's online chess habit. Uh, Simon's had a go at picking an 11 comprised of the Chelsea classes of 2017 and 2022. I can reveal from that that Gary Cahill got the nod over Malang Sarr. Um, Simon has also had a look at the fact that Chelsea didn't give, give a single minute of league action to a teenager last term and what the ramifications are for the current academy crop. There's also a Sarah Shepard interview with Emma Hayes, which is well worth your time. Liam, what else are you going to be working on? So I'm currently put, putting together a piece that will be up on The Athletic, I believe, on Friday morning. Um, just summarising every Chelsea player's contract and transfer situations. Uh, so I've been having a lot of conversations around that the last couple of days. We're trying to make it as comprehensive as possible. Although we're also aware that whenever you publish something like this, it could be dated within about five minutes of publication. So, um, yeah, check that out. And also, you know, you, you just mentioned it. I thought uh, John Muller's piece, Pulisic and Chess, was absolutely brilliant. I've never read a profile like that uh, and I'd recommend it to anyone. Yeah, it's a really interesting story. It's well worth checking out. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod. The place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. It'll only cost you a pound a month for the first six months. So, Sam, you've had the holiday. What does the rest of your summer comprise of? Oh, I'm going to play golf uh, next Friday with Darren Barnard and some some <laughs> friends um, down in Wales. Um, well, I was back commentating on Romania v Montenegro which was a challenge to say the least the other day in the Nations League and work-wise I'm doing an MLS New York City FC v Atlanta United if anyone wants a uh, football fix a week on Sunday but just uh, spending some time with the children really. Uh, that will be on Sky Sports. I'm just frantically looking down the Atlanta United squad to see if there are any Premier League cast-offs but it doesn't seem to be in fashion at the moment with that big new you TV had- deal. Anton Walks, once of Spurs. I think he was there maybe last year. See, Lamps was at New York, wasn't he? Yeah. If it's not Bradley Wright Phillips, I'm not interested, uh, to be honest. We'll see if that big new Apple TV deal means that some players will be tempted to go across the pond maybe a little earlier in their career. All right, next week we are going to be back, but Liam is going to be in the hot seat, uh, Albion a deck chair in Portugal. Do join him and the gang if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.